It's Wandering Monsters for November 19th, 2019. I'm Stephen Twining on Twitter at Von Coralon, and this is the latest from the greatest role-playing game in the world. Today we're joined by Keith Baker, creator of the Eberron campaign setting, as we explore Eberron, rising from the last war. After five years of anticipation, Eberron Rising from the Last War launches today, and to celebrate the release of the campaign setting sourcebook, we're speaking with Keith Baker, legendary RPG designer with Together Studios and creator of the World of Eberron. The Eberron campaign setting for Dungeons & Dragons is a dynamic and vibrant world of swashbuckling action, neo-noir intrigue, and dark pulp fantasy. Magic is infused into the very fabric of the world, coursing through the lightning rail, fiery elemental airships, cryptic dragon marks, and in the blood of feral shifters, war-forged artificers, and capricious changelings. We caught up with Keith Baker on the eve of the Eberron Rising from the Last War release, and here's a look at our exclusive interview. Welcome to Wandering Monsters. Thank you for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Keith, you've championed the world of Eberron since its inception in 2004, and five years after the release of 5th edition, we're finally witnessing the launch of Eberron rising from the last war. As this date finally arrives, tell us how you're feeling about the new source book. I am extremely excited. Uh, as you say, Eberron has been something that has been important to me for almost 15 years now. I've been working on it. And I just love the world. Uh, I feel over the last decade, the world has continued to evolve and uh, you know, grow deeper. And I'm just really excited that more people are going to have a chance to join the adventure. Excellent. Yes, I'm thrilled as well. I've been following the adventure since 2004 myself. <laughs> so Eberron Rising from the Last War features 16 race options. <laughs> it's quite a bit, including Kalashtar, Warforged, Shifters, Changelings, and some variants on the more traditional classes, such as Gnomes, Elves, and Halflings. It may seem overwhelming to new adventurers in Corbair. Uh, do you suggest people will approach this in a certain way? What's your approach with this range of options? I mean, there's there's so many different ideas. You know, part of it is one of the things Rising from the Last War includes is what are called group patrons. And that's a way for a party to say, hey, let's all be spies. Let's all be working for the Boromar clan. And if you agree on that, that can help narrow down the concept of what kind of characters. One of the things... Uh, the group patron section does is sort of talk about, hey, here are the kind of characters who would fit in this sort of adventure. So that's one way to help narrow the scope. Uh, you know, honestly, the two other things are just flip through the book. You know, you see something that you're like, I want to play that guy. Right. You know, do you want to be a Warforged? Because to me, that's like something that is unique and tied to the right. setting. Or you can also just say, well, what I really want to play is a spy. Right. And, you know, the game master can work with you to say, well, you could be a changeling and then you could change shape and, you know, switch things. Or you could be a shadow marked, you know, uh, elf and be tied to there. And that's part of the thing. As you mentioned, the race options, that didn't even get into the dragon marks, which are Precisely. also 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right? options. But, uh, you know, part of it is you're just going to have to, I think, pick something and dive in because, yeah, there's many different possibilities you can explore. That's true. Um, especially in this edition, the orcs and goblinoids yes. of Iran are presented. And they really are unique in Dungeons and Dragons as their cultures are not inherently evil. In fact, the Dakani goblinoid empire reigns for 10,000 years in Corvair. Um, what's your advice on playing an orc or hobgoblin or even a bugbear in Eberron? Well, it's, it's um, something I'm very glad that we have in this edition because it really was part of Eberron from the very beginning and it just didn't sort of get incorporated as clearly into third edition in terms of having both goblinoids and orcs as player options. And, you know, one of the key points to me is, as you said, the idea that both orc and goblin civilization predates human civilization on the continent of Corvair. And that sort of has this point of what humans think of as we're going into dungeons and getting magic swords. Well, you are literally raiding goblin tombs and taking their, you know, their relics. And so in playing a goblin or an orc, Part of what I suggest is, you know, just consider the fact that you are an adventurer like anyone else, but also do think about how are you different from a human character. You know, you're not just a human with green skin. You're tied to a distant civilization. In the case of the bugbears and hobgoblins, you're part of, you know, you have this legacy but you are also part of this race that is split into these different forms. And the Dakani very much emphasized all of the sub-races working together. The bugbear, the goblin, the hobgoblin each had their role. The modern goblin society isn't necessarily uh, as enlightened. Uh, It's also the case that in addition to just having the racial stats, the, uh, the book talks a little about the different cultures associated with them. And so, uh, the question is, are you tied to the ancient Akani civilization, which has a lot of emphasis on honor, on your role in uh, your culture? Are you tied to the sort of a little more savage, if you will, uh, Dargoon civilization? Or are you a goblin who's just grown up in Sharn or right. grown up in one of the main cities? And in that case, you are pretty much, you know, just part of the civilization of the Five Nations. Um, looking to the orcs, it's that idea that what we suggest is where the goblinoids are sort of inherently driven to structure, you know, to work together, that orcs really are by nature very passionate and, uh, you know, driven to extreme beliefs, to extreme emotion, uh, which is where you get them a lot of times as druids, as barbarians, as in the demon ways, paladins who have been protecting uh, Corvair from ancient evil for, again, thousands of years. And so one of the things I say with the orcs is just really consider that you're not only part of ancient traditions, but again, you're someone who feels things uh, and believes things very emphatically. Excellent. Well, the new source book, Rising from the Last War, provides a lot of essential information for crafting a background in Corvair for folks that are new to it. Um, and this, this continent is still reeling in the wake of the last war. Um, can you tell us about the debts and regret tables and uh, what, why you need 200 gold pieces in the new <laughs> source book and how that adds to your character's development? 
that is one of my favorite section titles. Uh, so these are from the, uh, the opening introductory chapter, which talks about the themes of Eberron. And some of the critical themes of Eberron, you know, pulp adventure, over-the-top action, but also more intrigue, which is playing to the idea that it's not always clear-cut, good and evil, black and white, uh, and that stories aren't always going to end well. Uh, tied to that, a major theme of the book is, again, rising from the last war. The idea that the continent has been through decades of a terrible, bitter civil war that only ended a couple years ago. And so part of the point is that any sort of adventurer, a skilled person who probably is more than two years old, unless you're a warforged, how did the war affect you? What did you lose? What did you do? Did you fight in it? And if so, who for? The regrets table is an example of just saying, again, don't just think of yourself as a dwarf fighter. Think of yourself as, well, what nation are you tied to? How, you know, is that something you're passionate about? Do you have family? Who did you, uh, you know, lose or leave behind? So regrets just uh, throws out ideas like, did you make a promise to a child or a loved one that you weren't able to keep? Did you lose someone during the last war? Did you do something in the last war you regret? And it's just a way of just saying, think about, you know, a character that has a regret has something to overcome. It has a story hook to explore. Right. You know, basically mistakes make us deeper as individuals. Um, the death's table is just a sort of random idea, you know, and part of it is, uh, it's just saying, hey, what is it that's driving you right now? And it's very much, Han Solo has a price on his head. And it's just saying, well, do you want to start out saying, oh, you owe the Barmore clan some money, so you better get it. Like, you know, what is driving you other than I just want to be an adventurer? Right. Um, and that ties to that more... Uh, concept and again what have you made a mistake now one of the things we talk about in that is debts are always something you should work out with your game master because it's about creating a story out uh, and one of the points is while this may seem why would I want to take a penalty it can also be things like well I need 200 gold pieces because I can join the Aurum if I get it or because I pawned my grandfather's magic sword and I need 200 gold pieces to get it back you know, so I mean, it can be something where we agree, like, oh, when I get that 200 gold pieces, I'll get something for it. I'm not just throwing it away. Uh, but it's all about, again, working with the game master so that we agree this is the drive of the story. And the last thing I'll say to that is it's just for me, what I love about uh, role playing games is we are building a story together, we are making a movie we want to see. And so this is part of the points of debts, is it's starting us off by saying, and what's that story? How does it begin? What's going on with the hero? And so it's just sort of think about your character a little more and think about what drives them. And again, what mistakes they may have made. Excellent. Well, this kind of ties into that. Yeah, you've spoken recently on the Manifest Zone podcast and cheers to the Manifest Zone podcast. Thank it's you. About changes to the artificer, of course, and changes <laughs> in the races based on feedback such as the Warforged. <laughs> but now that we have this source book, um, how does this edition differ from 3.5, 4th edition? What mechanics or classes are enhanced or reworked or left by the wayside? Well, there's a few things that are sort of the most concrete differences. Uh, Warforged have gone through 
uh, a number of changes, uh, you know, because they are hard to balance and they are tricky. Uh, the most, uh, I think, um, controversial decision that was made with the current version of Warforged uh, in Rising is the fact that they attach armor, that they do use right. armor like other characters. And part of the reason for that is I love the idea that the Warforged are armor, if you will. Uh, but it raised, the version we had in Wayfinder's Guide raised lots of questions about, well, how does it interact with this feat? Or how does it interact with this feature? Or things like that. And it's a lot cleaner to say that they are using armor. The main thing I always say to that is, of course, they aren't just wearing armor. Part of the point is it takes a Warforged an hour to switch armor. Once they've done it, it cannot be removed from them. Don't think of it as you're just wearing armor. To me, it is literally, you have peeled your skin off and attached new skin. Like you're not just wearing the suit the way someone else would do it. You've taken it apart and pasted it, you know, sort of attached it to yourself. And the main point I make to that is the idea that it's not pleasant and that most Warforged never do it, you know, do it. Like you can, but it's not a casual choice. It's a, it's a big deal, like I said, as if you're peeling your skin off and, and putting new skin on. Uh, so it is a change that makes things better mechanically and makes things much cleaner. But again, it doesn't change the idea of the Warforged, that their armor is a part of their body. Um, so that's a major thing. Certainly the, the races have been tweaked since the original Unearthed Arcana, but most of the races do keep the same core idea that they've had all along. The Artificer, I do like the version uh, that is there now, and it is the first new class of 4th edition. It has gotten back, compared to 4th edition, where the Artificer really sort of shifted away, it has gotten back to the, the core idea of the third edition is the Artificer is a person who makes tools, and uh, but is also quite versatile. Yes. And one of the things I will say is interesting about the Artificer is it really does put a lot more of the sort of play of the character into the subclasses, the specializations, that an artifact, I mean, an alchemist and a battlesmith are two very different characters in terms of how they play. Right. And so it is very versatile. Uh, I also love artificers from the point that in fifth edition, they use tools as their arcane focuses. And the point is, again, don't just think of it as your artificer is casting a spell. Think of it as you are using your alchemist tools to produce a magical effect. And so it's not just you cast a spell the way the wizard casts a spell. It's you are mixing up, you know, an emergency potion and throwing it. Or if you are using woodcarver's tools, you're literally making some kind of little wand that you use to do the thing. So think about the flavor of what you're doing, not just the result. Um, dragon marks have changed since third edition. In third edition, they were feats. Now they are basically like a sub race. And there's a few highlighted as much in fifth edition. It's an optional rule. Yep. And and so uh, because exactly you know exactly that, and because you don't get feats in third edition, you got to feed at first level. So you could be a dragon mark character starting off. You even if you're using the optional rule, you don't get them at first level unless you're very human. And we really wanted it to be something where you start off as a Dragon Mark character. So I'm actually very happy with, uh, with that interpretation. Uh, but it is something, obviously, that is a change. Uh, and I feel like there's one more shift that I'm not thinking. But uh, we'll get there. 
I also will note that the dwarves, uh, we've added sort of a little twist to the backstory of the dwarves in Eberron that gives them a little more depth. And one of the things people had always said is the dwarves seem like the least exotic, you know, compared to halflings on dinosaurs or ancestor worshiping elves. And so rising, we have delved into the dwarves a little more and given them, you know, a little more of a unique story. Oh, great. I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. Just a couple more questions, if you have the time, please. Sure. Um, so Corbear is, as you were describing, it's a hotbed of intrigue. And uh, amazingly, the printing press uh, plays a significant <laughs> role in how society interprets these events that are going on in this world, um, just like our own world. Um, can you tell us about the role of the press in Eberron, Keith? Uh, well, it is certainly the idea, again, that Eberron is not just a direct parallel to our world, but it is a uh, civilization where magic has been used to solve many of the problems that we solve with technology. And so communication, transportation, entertainment. And so that idea that this is a world that has long distance communication that would develop things like newspapers or as we often call them chronicles. Uh, this is one of the points that in the group patron section, one of the options is that you could be working for a chronicle and that you could be being sent to get the truth, find the story. Uh, and even if you're not, part of the point is that um, you know, your stories could be greatly of interest. You know, you could have a known reporter from the Gorenberg Chronicle, you know, following you around, uh, you know, trying to get the, the next big story, or again, even just a character. If you're playing a bard, you could say, well, I am working for the Chronicle and I'm sending our stories back home, you know, and it just sort of is a fun thing to drive. Uh, one of the things I'll note is that in the book itself, throughout Rising from the Last War, there are excerpts from uh, the different newspapers and chronicles that sort of are describing different pieces of history. One of the things I will note is keep an eye on the source of news, uh, that the Kornberg Chronicle is the most reliable, yeah. Strong Inquisitive next, but there's a number of papers, the, uh, the five voices, the voice of Frain, the voice of uh, Brayland, and uh, they are more nationalistic, sensationalist okay. uh, papers. So I will just say, if you see something, you know, coming out from the voice of Karnath, you know, bear in mind, that's going to be very slanted towards a Karnathy view. Oh, wild. That's excellent. Just a couple more. Um, you're joined by James Wyatt and Jeremy Crawford in this edition, and they're both veterans of this of the last war. Mm -hmm. um, a number of other writers, um, new folks and designers like Dan Dillon and uh, James Intracasso. How did this experience in designing the source book differ from uh, your work in the past with uh, Wizards of the Coast? Well, I will say it was it was quite different of that, you know, with third edition, with the Eberron campaign setting, you know, that was basically James and Chris uh, and Bill and I locked in a room for a week, you know, hammering out all the details. And that was a fantastic, really fun experience. Here, uh, James and Jeremy and I did a lot of work in advance, you know, through emails and stuff like that. Uh, really sort of laying the groundwork of what we were going to do. Um, I didn't actually spend a lot of time like up there at Wizards or anything like that. So it was a more sort of traditional freelance arrangement. Uh, but at the same time, again, getting to work with James again 
and also with Jeremy, I love uh, the the sort of creativity and the passion that everyone brought to the work. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, cool. Well, you have a number of projects set to release by uh, this year's end. Uh, can you tell Hopefully. us more about? I know, right? Can you tell us more about exploring Eberron and your work with the uh, Adventure Zone? Uh, well, exploring Eberron is is my follow up to uh, Rising from the Last War, and and the point is both that Rising from the Last War, by its nature, has to cover some of you know the basics of Eberron. Uh, and it adds sort of hooks and story ideas that we haven't seen before, but it is covering the core uh, topics. Meanwhile, now that it is possible to create material for the DMs Guild, which it wasn't possible to, you know, until a year ago, uh, there are things that I've always wanted to delve into about Eberron, but have never had the opportunity. Uh, the planes, for example, are an element of Eberron that is unique, but has never really been delved into enough to understand sort of all the potential for stories uh, right. that the planes offer. Gates um, of Night, you've really gone in deep into the uh, the planes and gates of night. Now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so uh, exploring Eberron is this chance to explore pieces of the world that are very important to me uh, that I just haven't had the chance to talk about before. It goes much deeper into the goblins, for example. Uh, it does talk more about uh, some of the religions, about just the role of magic in the world. You know, so it's a lot of different uh, sort of pieces of the world that I think are particularly interesting, but that the core books haven't had a chance to really explore. Uh, that at the moment, we're thinking right at the end of December, hopefully, you know, it, it's uh, uh, everything is a busy time. So it'll be end of December or early January. I think the enthusiasts really, will be hungry for that, yes. Yeah, but I'm really excited about that, and it really will add a lot of depth to the world. Um, then the Adventure Zone isn't coming out in December. It's in December. We're launching our pre-order uh, our pre for it, huh? uh, and we'll be doing a lot of demos. And the Adventure Zone is we're working with the McElroys, who do the Adventure Zone podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, uh, and right. such. And it is a storytelling uh, adventure card game. Uh, so we really wanted to capture that idea of you have a group of friends, you have an hour, and you just want to have a fun fantasy adventure. Uh, and so it's simple, it's creative, uh, and it's a lot of fun. As I said, in December, we'll be doing a lot of uh, demos on streams and uh, things like that. Excellent. Well, speaking of December, um, you're a perennial guest at some of the biggest gaming events in the U.S. and across the world, frankly. Um, what do you have in store for PAX Unplugged in uh, Philadelphia this December? Will you be demoing then? Yes. So PAX Unplugged will be our first uh, public, uh, you know, open testing of the Adventure Zone. So we'll be launching a pre-order. And if you come by our booth in PAX Unplugged, you'll have a chance to see the game and play it. Uh, so the Adventure Zone is going to be our sort of primary focus. I'll certainly be doing an Eberron signing for people uh, who want to bring their copy of Rising from the Last War. Right. And I always love talking about Eberron, if anyone, you know, sure. finds me there. Uh, sure. But it will also be a chance to get to see the Adventure Zone. Great. Well, we're always thankful for all the uh, attention you give to fans. <laughs> it's really appreciated. 
Uh, just uh, one more thing. Uh, where can fans of Eberron and Together Studios uh, find you on the internet, the web, etc.? So my personal website is keith-baker.com. Uh, and I'm on Twitter as HellCowKeith. Uh, and then TogetherStudios.com uh, is, is my company. Uh, and that's where you can find more information about our various games, including Illumat and the Adventure Zone. Brilliant. Well, if uh, any of the most recent releases by Wizards of the Coast, if there are any indication, this is set to uh, hit the bestseller list in the New York Times by the end of the week. Uh, are you prepared for this? No, I hadn't actually even thought about that at all. Uh, so uh, I, I didn't know that that counts. Now, I have, of course, written six Eberron novels. So, you I know, I, I am a novelist, but, uh, but I hadn't really thought about uh, it being a bestseller. Uh, but that's good. You know, I'm, I'm excited by the concept. Oh, as I hope I won't let it go to my head. <laughs> it never does. It never does. Eberron Rising from the Last War is available at game stores, booksellers, and on dndbeyond.com. Special thanks to Keith Baker for joining us today. That's all for Wandering Monsters. We'll be back with the latest from the greatest role-playing game in the world.